Welcome to the Celebration Church podcast and thanks so much for tuning in. Celebration Church is one church in 10 locations across Southeast Louisiana. We are all about changing lives, homes, our city, and the world through Jesus Christ. We hope that you're both encouraged and challenged by today's message. Thanks so much for joining us for Celebration Online. By the way, God's doing some incredible things in our in-person services at Celebration Church. And so if you're ever in the New Orleans area, if you live in the New Orleans area, please come and check us out sometime. But we're also grateful for what God is doing through our online ministry here at Celebration Online. And please let us know how the services and the sermons have been encouraging you and helping you uh, deepen your walk with the Lord. Today, I want you to turn with us to Matthew chapter 5, verse 9. And we're going to be learning about an important skill that all of us need to develop in our lives. While you turn to Matthew 5, verse 9, let me ask you this question. Have you ever had conflict with others? Have you recently had conflict with others? I'm sure the answer would be yes, because conflict is a part of every person's life. Sometimes we experience conflict in the home, growing up with our siblings. Sometimes we experience conflict at school, dealing with our schoolmates. Sometimes we experience conflict while we're dating. Sometimes we experience conflict at work. Sometimes we experience conflict in our marriage relationships. I tell people, my wife and I, we don't have arguments. We just have loud discussions that can be heard several houses away. And I'm sure you've had some loud discussions, if not with your spouse, at least with other people in your life. I'm telling you, conflict is a is an ongoing part of our lives and learning how to manage conflict. Developing the skill of conflict resolution is one of the most important skills we can learn in our lives. Today in Matthew chapter 5, verse 9, Jesus gives us a, a verse that helps us begin to uh, discover how to really become conflict managers and conflict resolvers in our lives. Here's what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, verse 9. He said, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the children of God. Blessed are the peacemakers, not the peacebreakers, for they will be called the children of God. We can see from this verse that one of the proofs we are a child of God is that we have become a peacemaker rather than a peacebreaker. So what is a peacebreaker? A peacebreaker is someone who constantly argues with others, someone who constantly disagrees with others, someone who's constantly in conflict with other people. Do you know people like that? Maybe you're like that at some times in your life. Now, Jesus said we're not to be peace breakers, but we're to be peacemakers. We're to be peace initiators, peacemakers. Now, what is a peacemaker? Before I answer that question, let me tell you what peacemaking is not. Peacemaking is not avoiding conflict. Some people say, well, I just do anything to keep peace in my marriage. I just don't rock the boat. That's not peacemaking. That's, that's cowardice. That's what it is. Uh, peacemaking is not running or avoiding or, or running from the problem. Uh, it's, not, it's not appeasing also. Appeasing means I always give in as peace at any price. That's not peacemaking. That's codependency. That's what that is. Uh, and then acting like we care but doing nothing to resolve a conflict is not peacemaking. When there's conflict, some people will say, that's okay. I've already forgotten about it. We don't need to talk about it any further. They're trying to make you think that everything's okay, but that's not truth. That's not reality. That's not the way Jesus taught us that. In fact, if you study the life of Jesus, you'll find that Jesus had conflict with other people at different times in his life, but he never ran from the legitimate conflict. He knew how to deal with it. He knew how to face it head on. He knew how to uh, restore and reconcile relationships. And that's what it means to be a peacemaker. A peacemaker is someone 
who addresses a conflict, who deals with a conflict, and then seeks to resolve the conflict and go beyond that to restore a relationship. And Jesus said, God blesses those who are peacemakers. Do we need peacemakers in our day and time? Man, we certainly do. We need peacemakers in every home. We need peacemakers at work. We need peacemakers in the world today. There are wars going on in our world today. There are conflict going on in our world today. There's a lot of conflict going on in the culture between the sexes, between generations, between races, between religions and political parties, between the rich and the poor, the educated and uneducated, between men and women and parents and their children and on and on. We definitely need this message, not just for our lives, but also for our world. And by the way, Here's what I've discovered. And until you learn how to resolve conflict and reconcile relationships, you're probably going to have a lot of miserable times in your life. You see, listen, when there's unresolved conflict in our lives, it blocks our fellowship with God. In other words, the Bible says you can't be right with God and wrong with other people. In fact, it says in 1 John 4, if someone says, I love God but hates a fellow believer, that person's a liar. But if you don't love people that we can see, how can you claim to love God whom we cannot see? Also, when there's unresolved conflict in our lives, it keeps our prayers from being answered. Have you ever wondered why your prayers aren't being answered? Peter wrote to those who are Christian husbands and said, treat your wife as you should so your prayers won't be hindered in your life. And then when there's unresolved conflict in our lives, it stymies our happiness. You know, there's from personal experience. I mean, everything can be going well for you in your life. You can be in good health. You can be making lots of money. Things can be going well at work. But if there's conflict between you and someone in your family, you could be on a vacation trip to Hawaii, but if there's conflict and drama and all those kinds of things, I mean, it robs you of peace and joy and happiness in your life. That's what happens when we don't learn how to be a peacemaker. That's what happens when we don't learn how to resolve conflict with other people in our lives. Look at this verse as we begin. James chapter 3, verse 18 says, Those who are peacemakers will plant seeds of peace and reap a harvest of righteousness. Now, that verse reminds us that the law of sowing and reaping is an ultimate law of the universe. We, we reap what we sow. We reap more than we've sown. We reap long after we've sown. If we sow anger into the lives of our children, they're going to be angry back at us. If we sow bitterness, we're going to get bitterness back. If, if we sow resentment, we're going to get resentment back. It works the other way. If you're generous with people, you're going to experience generosity from others. If you're loving towards people, you're going to experience love and appreciation from others. And if you learn how to sow peace into the lives of others and into our world, the peace of God and peace with others will come back to you in your life. So here's the question. What are some steps we can take to become a peacemaker? I want to tell you how to plant seven seeds of peace that will help you to become a peacemaker. To begin with, becoming a peacemaker requires making the first move. Being the one who's willing to make the first move to resolve or to diffuse a conflict. You know, people would say, well, why should I make the first move? It was their fault. They said what they said. They did what they did. They acted like they acted. Why, when they come to me, I'll be glad to face a conflict and deal with it. But God says, no, if you're a Christian, you need to make the first move to resolve that conflict. Jesus said this in Matthew 5, if you're presenting a sacrifice at the altar in the temple and you suddenly remember that someone has something against you, uh, leave your sacrifice there at the altar. Go and be reconciled to that person. Then come and offer your sacrifice to God. Jesus said, you shouldn't even be going to church services if you haven't already worked at reconciling, resolving those broken relationships. Now, we want you to come to worship services, but here's what Jesus was saying. It's important for us to take the initiative 
in resolving the broken relationships of our lives. Now, here's what I've discovered. Many people practice procrastination or avoidance when it comes to reconciling broken relationships. And neither one of those actually works for us. You see, conflict is never resolved accidentally. It's never resolved unintentionally. It's always intentional. You've got to make the move. Conflict never resolves itself. And here's what I've heard people say over and over. It's a saying that's wrong. Here's what people say. Well, you know, time, time heals all things. That's not true. Time heals nothing. If you've got cancer and you say, well, I'll just wait for the cancer to get better. And it's going to get better. It's not going to get better. It's going to get worse. If you get shot in the side and you're bleeding to death, you say, well, I'll just wait. I'll just wait until I get better. You're not going to get better. You're going to get worse. Time has never healed anything in your life. It only makes things worse. And so if you hold on to resentment and bitterness and, and conflict with other people, it's not going to get better. It's only going to get worse. So it takes intention to resolve broken relationships. And the only way to resolve the conflict is to face it and to deal with it. So what is it that keeps most people from wanting and being willing to resolve the broken relationships of their lives? One word is the word fear. Fear is what keeps most people from striving to resolve a broken relationship. We see that in the very beginning of time. In the very beginning of time, there was that couple, Adam and Eve. They had everything going for them, man. Uh, they lived in a beautiful paradise. They had all kind of luscious fruit and other things to eat, uh, no vicious animals to worry about. And, and they were the only two people to enjoy that existence together. Uh, I tell people, think about this. Adam never had to hear from Eve about whom she could have married. Eve never had to hear from Adam about how well his mother cooked. Man, what an incredible circumstance and situation that was. But sin came into the garden. Sin came into their lives. And the Bible says after they sinned, when the cool evening breezes were blowing, the man and his wife heard the Lord God walking around in the garden. So they hid from the Lord God among the trees. And the Lord God called to the man and asked, where are you? And he replied, I heard you walk in the garden, so I hid. I was afraid because I was naked. Now notice Adam said, I was afraid. What was he afraid of? He was afraid of sin being exposed. He was afraid of being vulnerable. He was afraid that he wouldn't have what it would take to reconcile his relationship with the Lord. He was said, I was afraid, and I hid. And by the way, men have been hiding from God and from women, and women have been hiding from men and from God ever since. That's what happens in relationships. We hide, and the longer we hide, the more that we hurt. You see, we're afraid of. We're afraid of vulnerability. We're afraid of being exposed. Uh, and here's what happens. When we hide... Out of fear, it makes us distant, it makes us demanding, and it makes us defensive. First, when you're afraid in a relationship, you get defensive. Somebody brings up something that they don't like about what you said or did, and you get defensive about it. You're afraid to reveal your true self, and then you get distant. What happens is we withdraw from other people emotionally, and, 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 the more, and then, uh, then we become demanding. The more insecure we are, the more we try to control things and people around us in our lives. Uh, let me tell you, the most controlling people around you are the most insecure people around you, the most fearful people around you. Now, I've talked to some single adults who think the worst thing in their life is they never got married. Let me tell you, that's not true. I tell people if love is a dream, marriage is the alarm clock that wakes you up from the dream. The worst thing that could happen to you is to get married to someone and there'd be constant conflict and bitterness between the two of you and you withdraw, you get distant from one another, you get defensive with one another, you get demanding with one another, and that happens in a lot of marriage relationships and in other types of relationships as well. And fear keeps us from resolving that conflict 
and doing something about it. Fear of rejection, fear of exposure, uh, fear that our spouse or someone else is going to misunderstand us. We're afraid that we might say something that's going to come back against us. Fear, 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 fear. But here's what Jesus said. Peacemakers are people who overcome those fears and take the initiative at reconciling those relationships. Listen, if you're struggling with fear right now, it's kept you from doing what you need to do to reconcile a broken relationship. Listen to what the Bible says in 2 Timothy 1.7. It says, God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but a spirit of power and love and self-discipline. Ask God to give you the faith that you need to overcome those fears so you can pursue reconciling the broken relationships of your life. So becoming a peacemaker requires making the first move. It also requires asking God for wisdom. One of my favorite verses that I typically pray every day is James chapter 1, verse 5, which says, If you need wisdom, ask our generous God, and he will give you the wisdom you need. So the first thing, we have to make the decision. I'm going to be the one to pursue reconciling this broken relationship. But before we try to do that, we need to ask God for his wisdom. Ask God to give us instruction. And the Bible says that God's always willing to help us to to respond to that kind of prayer, to give us wisdom. He will help us to know when to approach the other person, where to approach them, and how to approach them. I'm telling you, when we ask the Lord for his counsel, he will tell us exactly what we need to do to reconcile that broken relationship. Now, here's what else you got to know. If the Lord tells you to do something, you got to be willing to do it. And you got to be willing to do it in the way that he wants you to do it and how he wants you to do it. The problem is a lot of people, a lot of people don't listen to the Lord or a lot of people don't obey the Lord. They're like the man who fell over the side of a cliff and he was holding on to a little shrub tree and, and uh, he had been an atheist up to that time, but he called up into the heavens and said, is there anybody up there who can help me? And a booming voice came down from heaven and said, yes, I'm up here and I can help you. And the man cried out, well, what do I need to do to resolve this situation? And the voice said, just let go of that shrub tree and I'll catch you and everything will be okay. And the man thought about it for a moment, and he called back up and asked, is there anybody else up there who can help me? He wasn't willing to listen to the counsel he received. That's where a lot of us are, but I'm telling you, if you're going through a conflict right now with anyone about anything, if you ask God to give you the direction and the help you need, God's promise, he'll answer that prayer and give you the wisdom you need. Here's the third thing. Becoming a peacemaker requires accepting responsibility for our wrongs. Now, listen, when we do get direction from God about resolving a conflict and we begin to go to the other person, we don't need to go accusing the other person. We don't need to go blaming the other person. We don't need to go pointing out what they've done wrong. We've got to start with accepting responsibility for our wrongs. Even if the conflict is 99% of the other person's fault, we need to start with our flaws, our faults, where we've been wrong. You can find something in some way that you've been wrong, maybe even the way that you received what the other person said. Now, the Bible says there are two major causes of conflict. Listen carefully. This will help you out. Number one, self-centeredness is almost always one of the major causes of conflict. How do I know that? I know that from personal experience. I know that from what the Bible says. Look what it says in James chapter 4, verse 1. What causes fights? What causes fights and quarrels and conflict among you? They're called by the selfish desires that are continually at war within you. Our self-centeredness, our self-focus, our self-selfishness oftentimes causes lots of the conflicts that we find ourselves involved in. Do you ever struggle with self-centeredness? I'm sure you do. I do. We all do at times in our lives. 
Now think about this. The number one reason people give for today for a divorce is this. They say, Pastor, we're just incompatible. We're just incompatible. We just can't get along. We're just incompatible. Listen, incompatibility is a term made up by divorce attorneys to justify divorce. The truth of the matter is we're all incompatible. None of us are the same. Nobody's going to be completely compatible with you because nobody's like you. The truth is you can get along with anybody you want to get along with if you're willing to put aside your own self-focus and your own self-centeredness. Here's what I've discovered. Immaturity and self-centeredness, not incompatibility, is what causes marriages and relationships to fail. Not incompatibility is inflexibility. I I want what I want, and I want it now, and you want want what you want, and you want it now, and neither of us are old enough or mature enough or smart enough or spiritual enough or godly enough to put aside our self-interest and our self-focuses to work on the relationship. Listen, if incompatibility was an excuse, then exhibit A would be Dennis and Vicki Watson. We've been married well over 40-something years, and uh, we've had a great marriage uh, for many of those years, but we are completely, uh, we are complete opposites. We're completely different. I mean, if she says up, I say down. If she says go, I say slow, or vice versa. Uh, we, uh, the kids would come to me and say, can we do this? And my answer was yes until you proved to me what should be no. Her answer was always no until you proved to me what could should be yes. I mean, uh, she watches Hallmark. I watch ESPN. She likes different things than I do. We're completely incompatible, but we've learned how to die to our selfish desires and our selfish needs and our selfish wants and our selfish ambitions And we've learned how to learn from one another, the person that we're married to who's completely different to us. You know what I've discovered? Uh, The marriages that are the hardest when people are too much alike because after a while they get bored with one another. The greater your differences, the greater potential for growth in your marriage because here's what I've discovered. The purpose of marriage is not to make somebody happy but to make somebody holy. And that means you got to have some conflict and some differences and some challenges and some obstacles to overcome. Here's what I'm telling you. It's not a matter of incompatibility. If you have a problem in a relationship, it's a matter of maturity, immaturity. Am I willing to grow up? Am I willing to be unselfish? Am I willing to be flexible? Am I willing to learn? Or would I I rather die than learn the lessons I need to learn? Listen, it's all, and here's what else you need to understand. It's always more rewarding to resolve a conflict than to dissolve a relationship. Let me say that again. It's always more rewarding to resolve a conflict than dissolve a relationship. And so we got to overcome our tendency to be self-centered. I'm t- it's my nature to be self-centered. It's your nature to be self-centered. But I'm telling you, self-centeredness is the cause of most of the conflicts we experience in our lives. Now, here's the second thing that causes conflict in relationships. It's pride. Pride is a major cause of conflict in relationships. Because of our pride, we're stubborn. Because of our pride, we get our feelings hurt easily. And because of our pride, we're not willing to reconcile or pursue reconciliation with another person. Uh, our ego gets wounded, and then we have conflict. Here's what it says in Proverbs 13.10. Pride only leads to arguments. Now, think of a conflict you've had recently. It might be a conflict with your parents. It might be a conflict with your siblings. It might be a conflict with some of your coworkers. It might be a conflict with your children. It might be a conflict with your, uh, with your spouse or somebody else. Uh, you're in a conflict that's been ongoing. There's tension. There's, uh, there's, uh, there's all kind of issues going on. Nothing is happening. There's no movement. You're not making any progress. So I'm going to give you a secret miracle sentence that will probably break the logjam in that broken relationship. Here's a secret sentence. If you'll use it, here it is. 
I'm sorry. I have to share the blame. I've been thinking primarily of myself. Let me repeat that so you can remember it. I'm sorry. I have to share the blame. I've been thinking primarily of myself. And when your spouse wakes up from fainting or the people around you wake up from fainting, say it again. I'm sorry. Uh, I was only thinking of myself. I have to share the blame. And they'll probably faint all over again. What are you doing when you say these words? You're conquering that pride. You're being humble. Uh, You're saying, I know that I'm a part of the blame in some kind of way. When we say... uh, and when we're able to say, I'm sorry, I have to share the blame. I've been thinking primarily of myself. We are, that's when we're able to conquer that pride and, and approach the other person with humility and remove the logjam that keeps us from reconciling relationships in our lives. So often we want to point out the problem in other people's lives. But listen, we got to focus on our, our struggles and our strongholds and, and what's inside of us that keeps us from reconciling those broken relationships. Jesus said in Matthew 7, why worry about a speck in your friend's eye when you've got a log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First get rid of the log in your own eye. Then you will see well enough to deal with the speck in your friend's eye. Becoming a peacemaker requires accepting responsibility for our wrongs. It also requires listening to the other person's perspectives. Now, here's a verse that you need to memorize. You need to write down, put it on your refrigerator, put it on your desk at work, put it on your uh, dash of your car. James 1.19 says, be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. Be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. Now, that's an important verse for reconciling relationships because what I've noticed is that there's always hurt when there's conflict because our emotions get so engaged in the dialogue or discussion. We think we argue over ideas, but we actually argue over emotions, over feelings. Anytime there's conflict, I'll tell you what happens. Somebody got their feelings hurt. Somebody felt abused or slighted. Somebody felt like their, their, their idea was not even considered. Uh, it's the emotion behind the idea. How many times have you heard me say, hurting people hurt people? And so when people say hurtful things to you, it's because they're hurting themselves on the inside. People who aren't hurting don't hurt others. People who are filled with love, I mean, they are loving to others. People who are filled with joy, uh, they are joyful with others. People who are filled with peace are at peace with everybody else. But if I'm hurting on the inside, I'm going to hurt you on the outside with my words or my attitude or my actions in some kind of way. Hurting people hurt other people. But listen to me. The people who need our love the most are those who deserve it the least. The people who are the most obnoxious around us, the people who are most irritating to us, people don't want to be around, the people who need, those are the people who need massive doses of love and understanding from us. Here's what I've discovered. When people feel like they're not being listened to, when they feel like we don't care about their opinion, when when what they've said is not being validated, they become angry. And so if you want to start, if you want to really reconcile with people, you got to start with their needs and their concerns and their feelings and their hurts. you got to listen for their hurt. And as you're listening, you're actually listening behind the words. It's not what people say in an argument. You need to listen to the emotion behind the words. Emotion is far more important. Remember, James said, be quick to listen slow to speak, and slow to get angry. If you do the first two, by the way, the third is automatic. You'll be slow to be angry. If you're quick to listen and slow to speak, you'll be slow to get angry. On the other hand, if you have a trigger temper and if you want to argue all the time, if you want, if you want to prove that you're right all the time, I mean, you're going to have uh, terrible relationships in life. If you're quick to speak and slow to listen, that's why you get angry. Now, God gave us two ears and one mouth. Why do you think he did that? Probably because we should always listen twice as much as we speak. 
And here's the thing. You got to listen to what other people are saying. You got to listen to their hurt. Uh, you got to listen to their perspective because you don't know their perspective. And that's why there's conflict. They, you don't know their perspective and they don't know your perspective. So write this down. Always listen before speaking. Always listen before speaking. That's the key to diffusing conflict. We need to always listen before speaking and assessing blame. One of my favorite passages of Scripture is Philippians chapter 2, verses 4 and 5, where Paul wrote, Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. We would have the same attitude of Jesus. And Paul said Jesus always thought more of others or more about others than he thought of himself. And here's what he was saying you got to intentionally shift your focus from your needs and your wants and your desires to what others are needing and wanting and desires. Conflict resolution starts with the way that you look at the situation. In fact, the word look there, Paul used the word look, is the Greek word skopos. We get the word microscope from that word when we look at little things that we don't normally see. We get the word telescope from that word. We look at the stars that we can't see up close. Skopos means to focus. It says your attitude should be the same as Christ Jesus, and he was constantly focused on the other person on their needs, their challenges, their struggles. And listen, we're more like Jesus when we're focusing on the hurts of other people than when we're focusing on our other hurts, on our own hurts. Think about when Jesus was on the cross. He was being persecuted. He had gone through a horrible beating. He had been nailed to that cross. He had been lifted on that cross between heaven and earth as though he were fit for neither. You think Jesus was thinking about himself? No, on the cross, Jesus looked at the crowd around him, and he prayed to the heavenly Father and prayed, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. He was focusing on others, even in the midst of all the rejection and the pain and the suffering and agony he was going through. So Paul says in Philippians 2, focus, scope us on others. Try to see their perspective before you go mouthing off about your hurts, your needs, your concerns. Those are legitimate, but go ahead and try to focus on the concerns and needs and perspective. How do you do that? By paying attention to other people. There's an old Chinese proverb that says, seek to understand before seeking to be understood. And that's what Jesus is saying. We're we're so busy trying to get the people we're in conflict with to understand our side, our story, our perspective. And if we would just take time to consider their perspective it would change our heart. It would change the way that we interact with them. It would make us better, much better able to reconcile those broken relationships. Let me give you an example. The people you work with. People that are so irritating to you. The people you don't want to spend time with. The people you don't invite to church because you don't want them to come to church and get saved and become a Christian brother or sister. You don't like them. You know, the reason why is you don't scope us them. You don't, you don't see their circumstances. You don't know what they're going through. You don't know what kind of home they grew up in. You don't know what kind of spouse they have to deal with. You don't know what kind of problems or issues their children have. You don't know how bad their finances are or what health issues they're facing. Uh, uh, you don't understand all that they've been through in their life. You don't understand just for them to show up at work may be an incredible victory in their life. It's human nature to judge other people and look down on other people. When you begin to learn what you can about other people, to hear their perspective, to hear what they're going through, to hear why, they're, why they act like they act and why they do the things that they do, I'm telling you, it will change your perspective as you listen to their hurt and their perspective. Focusing on others' hurts and needs over our hurts and needs, I'm telling you, helps us to resolve conflict with others. And then becoming a peacemaker requires speaking the truth lovingly when dealing with others. 
Now, a lot of people pride themselves on speaking the truth. I'm a truth teller. I always tell the truth. But the Bible says, don't just speak the truth, but speak the truth in love. Sometimes we're like the wife. The husband asked her in an apartment store one time, honey, do these pants make me look big? And she said, no, it's your behind that makes you look big. She was speaking the truth, but just not in love. So when you got to tell the truth to people, you got to say it in a loving way, in a loving manner. You got you to speak the truth in love. People tell me from time to time, Pastor, I just tell it like it is. You know what that means? You're just being a jerk. That's what it is. It means you don't really care about other people. Speak the truth in love. The truth is not enough. It's not just what you say. It's how you say it. If you say something offensively, guess what? It will be received defensively. So you've got to speak the truth to your children in love. You've got to speak the truth to your coworkers in love. You've got to speak the truth to other people around you in love, to your neighbors and others. And by the way, they will remember the emotion even when they don't remember your words. Several weeks ago, we said in a sermon, you're never persuasive when you're abrasive. You're never going to get your point across. Uh, by being cross. You're never persuasive when you're abrasive. When you're out dining and a waitress or someone doesn't do what you want them to do, uh, you're never persuasive when you're abrasive. You got, you got to speak the truth lovingly. Truth without love is resisted, but truth with love is normally received by other people. So it's not what you say, it's how you say it. When we say things offensively, they're received defensively. The Bible says this in Proverbs 12, 18, the words of the reckless pierce like swords, but the tongue of the wise bring healing. You know, my wife and I, we spent a lot of time helping couples over the years and conferences and seminars and counseling, those kinds of things. And we talk oftentimes about there's some words you need to take out of your conversation, communication with one another. Words like always or never or your nutty mama or your crazy family or stuff like that. They're words that just trigger conflict, that trigger emotions, that that cause unhealthy dialogue and debate and all those kinds of things. One word that you need to remove from your vocabulary if you're a couple is the word divorce. Don't ever mention that word. Don't ever threaten one another with divorce. You got to take those words. You got to take those words out of your vocabulary. You know, during the Cold War between the Communist East and the Capitalist West, between the Soviet Union and its allies, and the United States and its allies, uh, uh, during that Cold War time, both sides agreed that some weapons were off limits. They were nuclear weapons. We called them weapons of mass destruction. They said, those, they said, we may fight, we may argue, we may have conflict, but we're not going to use the big one because it's going to be too disastrous. Listen, you need to ban the weapons of mass destruction from your marriage and from your other relationships. There are certain words you need to say, these words are off limit. I'm never going to curse the other person. I'm never going to bring up the shameful things that they've done. I'm never going to tell them I'm going to divorce them. I'm never going to use those kind of harmful words. And the Bible says in Ephesians 4.29, don't use foul or abusive language. Let everything you say be good and helpful so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. And then becoming a peacemaker requires focusing on the problem rather than fixing the blame. Now, you may go to counseling for how to reconcile broken relationships, but I'm telling you, this one point here may save you thousands of dollars in counseling. We tend to want to fix the blame. You made the mistake. You failed. You screwed up. You did this. You did that. That doesn't help anything. you got to focus on Fixing the problem rather than fixing the blame. Anytime you're focused on fixing the blame, you're just wasting energy and you're never going to resolve that broken relationship. Here's what I'm saying. We need to learn how to attack the problems rather than the other person. If you want to exhibit A about this, look at Washington, D.C. The president blames the Congress for everything. 
that's going wrong. And the Congress blames the White House for everything that's going wrong. And the Democrats blame Republicans. And Republicans blame the Democrats. And nothing gets done because they're always blaming one another. As long as you're fixing the blame, you're not going to fix the problem. So we got to focus on fixing the problem rather than fixing the blame. And then finally, becoming a peacemaker requires pursuing reconciliation rather than resolution in the broken relationships of our lives. Resolution is what we want. We want to resolve everything. Resolving everything requires resolving every disagreement, which, by the way, is virtually impossible to do. The truth of the matter is I'm different from you. You're different from me. And there are some things we're just never going to agree on, but we're always trying to get to resolution. What we need to focus on is not resolution, but reconciliation. Reconciliation involves mending the relationship even when we don't agree on everything. My friend Ricky Rigsby, who's the administrator of our Crested Christian School, says it like this. He says that the relationship is always more important than the situation. And think about that. The relationship is always more important than the situation. In other words, what he's saying is that sometimes we can't fix the situation. But we got to focus on reconciling the relationship even when we don't agree on the proper fixes to the situation. Reconciliation means that we bury the hatchet that we don't hold on to that hurt, that we let bygones be bygones, that we don't bring up those things again. It means that we don't try to blame the other person for the problems we've experienced in our relationship. It means that we, we believe that reconciliation is more important than resolution. When we focus on reconciliation and broken relationships, sometimes the issues become insignificant. But here's what I want you to know. The relationship is always more important than the situation. Memorize that statement. The relationship is always more important than the situation. Don't do things. Don't say things that you'll later come to regret. That will destroy that relationship. The relationship is always more important than the situation. You know, we will live in a world filled with conflict. We're dealing with right, that, that right now here in our world with the Russian invasion of Ukraine. And by the way, here at Celebration Church, we're praying for the people in the Ukraine, we're praying for their government leaders. We're praying for the safety for the people. We're praying for churches and missionaries to be able to minister to the people who are there. We're praying for those who are fleeing the country, going elsewhere. We're praying that God will work miraculously and mightily. We pray that uh, that the leadership of the Russian army, would, their mindset would be changed. We're praying for some kind of peaceful resolution in this situation. We're praying for that. And just a reminder, though, our world is filled with conflict. There's wars, division, and arguments, stress between people over their prejudices and racism and clashes. There's violence and tribalism, people attacking each other constantly. And as a result, we have, we have broken relationships, we have a broken economy, we have broken marriages, we have broken families, we have broken hearts, we have broken lives. And my challenge to you as a pastor is to be not a contributor to the brokenness of our world, but to be a contributor to healing and reconciliation in our world. My challenge to you is don't be a peace breaker any longer, but become what Jesus has called you to be, be a peacemaker. And Jesus said, if you'll do that, you'll be called the children of God. Paul wrote these words in 2 Corinthians 5. He said, God has given us this task of reconciling people to him. For God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. And he's given to us the same wonderful message 
and ministry of reconciliation. Be a reconciler. Be a peacemaker. Be a bridge builder. Be someone who displays the love and the kindness and the perseverance and the patience and the godliness of the Lord. Be a peacemaker, not a peacebreaker. And you'll be called one of the children of God. Our heads are bowed right now and our eyes are closed. I just want to pray for you. I want to pray for the situation that's occurring in Ukraine. But I also want to pray for you and the relationships, situations that you find yourself in. I'm sure that you've got conflict somewhere in your life. But if you don't, you will sometime in the near future. Could be in your birth family. Could be conflict in your birth family. Could be conflict in a dating relationship or a marriage relationship. Could be conflict at work. Could be conflict with your children. Or it could be conflict with your, with your children's other parent. Could be conflict in all kinds of ways. Could be conflict with people that you owe money to or people who owe money to you. Could be conflict that you're experiencing because of the color of your skin or your political background. I mean, conflict is a part of life. But in this time of conflict... We're not to retreat from the conflict. We're not to run from the conflict. Jesus said we're to be peacemakers in the midst of the conflict. But here's what I've discovered. You can't be a peacemaker until you have the peace of God in your heart and life. You can't have the peace of God in your heart and life until Jesus Christ, the Prince of Peace, becomes a Savior and Lord of your life. So right now, our heads are bowed and eyes are closed. I just want you to pray with me to dedicate or rededicate your life to the Lord Jesus Christ. To ask him to fill your heart and your mind and your life with the peace of God that passes all understanding. And then ask him to use you, me, and all of us to be peacemakers in the days ahead. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for reminding us in your word about the importance of being peacemakers, not peacebreakers. And that starts with making Jesus Christ the Savior and Lord of your lives, our lives. So, Lord Jesus, we ask you to become the Savior and the Lord of our lives, the, the master of our emotions, the master of our will. We ask you, Lord, to fill our hearts and minds with your presence and power and your peace so that we can be peacemakers in the world around us. Too often, quite honestly, we've been peacebreakers. Too often, we've held grudges. Too often, we've nurtured hurts. Too often, we've been unforgiving. Too often, we've got bitterness and strife characterize our lives. Too often, we've let what others say or do affect how we live in our lives. Help us no longer to be subject to those kind of things, but help us to be focused in our mind, heart, and lives on being peacemakers in the world around us. Lord, we pray right now for peace there in the Ukraine where the Russian army has been invading. We pray for wisdom and guidance and direction, Lord, for, uh, for the president of Ukraine and the other government leaders, Lord. We pray for safety and protection. We pray for the Christians who are there, Lord, who are just worshiping you and following you in the midst of this terrible conflict around them. Uh, Lord, we pray for a heart change in the minds of the Russian leadership. And we pray that there would be some miraculous things take place that would enable that conflict to be dismissed so that we would no longer find ourselves in any kind of, uh, any kind of global war. We pray in the name of Jesus. That, but Lord, for there to be peace in our world, it's got to start with peace in our lives. Help us to be at peace with you. Help us to be at peace with other people. And help us, Lord, to be ambassadors of peace and reconciliation to the world around us. In the days ahead, in the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. If you were encouraged by today's message, make sure to rate us and subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you stream your podcast. Again, thanks for listening to the Celebration Church Podcast.